0: Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend at Grace. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name's uh, Pastor Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's really good to be back with you this, this uh, weekend. Been gone a lot this summer, and uh, you guys may or may not know that Grace is a part of an international network of churches, about 3,000 churches across the world, and uh, our church, Grace Church here in Akron, is the largest of those churches in the world, and so what you do a lot in the summertime is you loan your pastors out. So you've loaned me out uh, a lot this summer, and uh, we've been kind of all over the globe and uh, training pastors and training missionaries, and it's been a, a great, great investment. That's where uh, myself and Pastor Joe and then uh, Pastor Carlos and Pastor uh, Pete, who are our Atlanta team, uh, were're all down in Brazil here these last few weeks. Uh, training pastors and missionaries and and, uh, speaking at conferences and things like that, but it's good to be home. It's good to be home kind of uh, permanently for a while. Uh, Traveling the world's fun, but uh, I love Akron, so it's good to be back with you guys, a little homesick and glad to be uh, connected here again. We're in a series right now uh, called Choose Your Own Adventure, and uh, Pastor Ryan has been uh, walking us through this the last couple of weeks. I want to pick up on uh, some of his ideas that he laid down last week and build on them this weekend. Now, here's the premise of our conversation, that, that God gives us choices, right? So he allows us to follow him, and there in doing that, he has created kind of more than one option of how to live in our lives. So we're all raised in, in our culture. And in our culture, certain things make sense, certain things don't. Uh, We have a North American culture, there's an African culture, Brazilian culture, European culture. Like, it it doesn't matter, it's just kind of the way that it is. We're raised in our culture, and as we're raised in those cultures, certain things make sense. There's kind of these cultural norms. And the thought is this, if, if I just kind of follow along with the cultural norm... Everybody will kind of agree with me. I'm supposed to get these certain outcomes in my life. And we're just kind of defined by, by these ideas. What happens then is this, when you, when you run into Christ, right? So, so when you discover that Jesus is your savior, you discover that you're a sinner and need to be forgiven, and that uh, Jesus is able and willing and ready to do that, and you accept Christ or become a Christ follower, the Bible says that when we do that, our citizenship actually changes so that we're no longer citizens of the world, but we're citizens of the kingdom of God. So, what that means in part is this that my culture changes. So, no longer am I just defined by my upbringing or my background, or in our case, like our North Americanism, but now I'm really to be defined by Christ and who he is and what he says and how he thinks and what he calls us to. In fact, it's, uh, it's fun as I've kind of run over all over the planet this summer. Uh, whenever you bump into a, a fellow Christ follower we share the same values and outlook on life. Uh, So the church in Brazil, for instance, is trying to do the the exact same things that we're trying to do here in Akron. And it's because we share this common identity in Christ. We have the same goals, same desires, same outcomes, even though we have completely different backgrounds. So it's a third way to to live. We we don't just have to float around in the culture and kind of hit the mainstream of things. There's another way that we can live. Sometimes the Bible. says we should live or must live that way. Sometimes the Bible says it's better to live that way. And then sometimes the Bible says, you know, you have the freedom, like all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So sometimes you have like the freedom to make these different choices. And that's kind of what we're landing on, that we can choose our own adventure, that we can, we can kind of go along and get along, or we can live for something different. We can choose something different and we can invest our lives in a different way. Now, last weekend, Pastor Ryan was teaching, <clears throat> and he taught about this whole idea of courage. And uh, he basically said with, with courage, if you live a life of courage, it's going to benefit, right? It's going to benefit the people around you. It's going to probably benefit you. It's going to benefit the kingdom of God. And that if we're, if we're really called to follow Christ, there's a courageousness that we choose over just the comforts and the norms of life. And I want to build on that idea a little bit this weekend, and I want, to, I want to talk with you about the idea of significance and choosing significance over safety. And here's kind of the, the premise of it. I, I want you to think of Pastor Ryan's conversation last weekend and mine this weekend as a part A and a part B. Uh, so if you miss Pastor Ryan's conversation, you can go out on our website, graceohio.org. You can watch it, listen to it. Uh, get a podcast and, and, and those things and get caught up to speed with it. With Ryan, I would encourage you to listen. Watching is a little bit painful, but, but you know listen to that and kind of get caught up to speed with it. But I want to take that idea of courage. I want to make this statement. I want to say this. It takes courage to live a life of significance. Okay? It takes courage to live a life of significance. If you're going to be significant, you have to be courageous. And so those two ideas are are kind of tied together. They're kind of a a complete thought when you put them together. And I want to show you how this works a little bit. So one of the main values in our culture right now, in in the North American culture, is safety, right? So we talk about safety all the time. We pray for safety all the time. Two biggest prayers in life, bless food and a safe trip home. We pray those two prayers more than anything else. Can we agree that God has blessed our food? culture that struggles with obesity. Okay, so God has blessed our food and a safe trip home. We've had many safe trip homes, so we pray those prayers all the time. And a lot of that comes from our culture. Our culture is a, is a safety culture. We have learned to kind of worship safety, right? So we talk about safety all the time. Uh, we want our kids to be safe before they ride their bikes. We put helmets on them and knee pads and elbow pads and bubble wrap and then wonder why they can't ride their bike, right? So, so we, we safety, safety, safety. Uh, we'll bring those ideas into our parenting. We bring those ideas into sports, right? It, it kind of cracks me up a little bit, that uh, suddenly it's been discovered that you can get hurt in football. This is like a new revelation that if people slam their bodies into each other, you might get hurt. So everybody's panicking about football, right? In fact, uh, kid's involvement in football is going down because there's these safety concerns. Safety, safety, safety is, is the thing all the time, right? And then we put that into all of our life. We want our finances to to be safely invested. So we want to plot along and have an outcome. We want a guaranteed outcome, and we'll surrender to safety to try to get that outcome. Uh, We want our career path to to be a safe career path. So I'll, I'll take safe choices so I can predict my income and predict my health insurance. I don't wanna go start a business, that kind of stuff, it's a little risky. I'd rather have this safety idea. I wanna move along it, right, okay? So it's a big value in our culture. Now, it's not all bad, obviously. When you talk about safety in the workplace or I'm, you know, I'm glad my car has airbags and all that kind of stuff. So it's not that it's all bad, it's just that we can start to worship it And it's a big, big value in our culture that defines us in in many ways, right? Now, this is what happens. We take that idea of safety, and if you notice, the more that we lean into safety, the less significantly we live. So the more that we lean into safety, the less significant things that we we do or are are accomplished in our life. So, for instance, our nation, our our culture is safer than it's ever been. Like, we're really, really safe, but we, like, don't go to the moon anymore. We're, We're, like, really, really, really safe, but, like, we're not breaking the next version of the sound barrier, right? We're really, really safe, but we don't, like, go exploring like we used to right because as we lean into safety we kind of rob ourselves of these adventurous radical things that wind up being historical in nature and wind up being significant in nature because we're so safety oriented that we won't pursue those things anymore now all of that comes into and affects our faith so when i come to christ i come to christ kind of from the culture that i've been raised in. If we were in Africa or Brazil, we'd, we'd identify other things that we worship besides safety, right? But as a North American, I come into that and I bring that, those mindsets with me into Christ. And I, I look and I say, I, I want to follow Christ. I'm grateful. I know that I'm a sinner. I'm grateful for God's forgiveness. I want to give my life to Christ. But when we go and we start defining what it means to follow Christ, we define it through that grid of safety, so just kind of tell me what it means to follow Christ. I will go to church like everybody else I know who follows Christ goes to church. 50% of the weekends of the year, I go to church. That's, how, that's the average church attendance every other weekend, right? I will, I will give financially. Like everybody, average tithe of North America is 3% right, so I'll give my 3% instead of my 10%, like God said, instead of living generously, but anyway, right, so I'll, I'll, I'll do that, and, and then I'll, I'll quit smoking, drinking, chewing, dating girls who do, and then I'll think of myself, I have like this manageable faith with these predictable outcomes, and I'll think of myself as a committed follower of Jesus Christ, because the safety, this management idea comes in, and churches will run this way, uh, should we go do this? I don't know. Is it in the budget? The budget is a big deal at, at churches, big, big, big deal. Is there a plan, right? Uh, we'll bring principles, uh, business principles into church life. What's the, R, the ROI on that, the return on investment? If we spend this money, are we going to get, are we, if we spend this money, are we going to get this many people saved? Well, how, do you, how, how are you supposed to know? Well, then let's not spend the money, and we'll start thinking these predictable, manageable steps for safety. Now, here's the problem. When you start reading the scripture, you can't find that mindset in the Bible. Like, God never, you never see it. God's never like, go into all the world and preach the gospel. When you have the money in the bank and a strategic plan has been approved, then go ahead and, right? When he called his disciples, he wasn't like, drop your nets, follow me. If your 401k is full enough and you can self sustain, right? Uh, come pick up your cross and follow me, but check with your wife, right? You just, you just don't find it in the Bible, so this is what happens. God is a radical God. He does crazy things, right? It's just the way He is. He, he's a radical God. He's on the edge God, and then He calls His people to follow Him that way, so a safe person has a really difficult time following a radical God, because it's the nature of God to call his people into radical things. It's the nature of God to call his people to do things that must be done by faith, that there's no guarantee of safety, there's no guarantee of a return, and there's no guarantee of an outcome. So as a culture, when, when I come up against that God, that will short-circuit me a little bit, right? And then I'm left with a choice, Do I want my relationship with God to be this manageable thing that I can predict? And at the end of my life, I look and say, well, God, I went to church on a regular basis. I gave my 3%. I managed my family pretty well. My kids kind of go to church and love you too. Done. Or do I want to live a life of spiritual significance where I'm on the edge being a part of historical things boldly pushing the kingdom of God forward, living a life of faith. And it's a choice that I get to make. It's not that like going to church and throwing some money in the back. It's not like that's a sin per se. It's just not consistent with, with the call of God on a believer's life. And I'm going to have to choose. I'm going to have to boldly choose significance over safety in order to be what God has called me to be. God says, He refers to this idea in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, and without faith it's impossible to please God. That's a very important phrase. Without faith in who Christ is, without faith in our salvation, is certainly what that phrase is talking about. But When you put it into the context, he's talking, Hebrews 11, he's talking about people who did crazy stuff Radical stuff. People who who Christ, we would say, who Christ is Lord, and whatever He says, I'm in for, right? So, Abraham, just pick up your stuff and move. Where are we going? I'll let you know as we go. David, get some rocks, go fight that giant. How's this going to work out? I'll let you know when you're out there. Daniel, go to the lion's den. I don't like lions. I know it'll be okay. I'll talk to you in the morning, right? This radical stuff with no safety parameters, and yet it's the very nature of God to call us into these ways. So as I was thinking about all of this, I, my, uh, my mind went to one of my favorite parts of the Bible. And I want to walk you through this. I've, I've walked us through this passage a few times over the years here at Grace. But I, my, my mind and my heart went through this passage because this pas- these passages, I should say, are very significant in the history of the church, and they're very significant, in, in, I know, in my life. And I want to I show you something. I want to show you, if you're going to live a life of significance, certain things are going to play out. And you need to know that, because you're going to have to break from the mainstream in order to live a life of significance, right? And I want to show you how this works. I want to show you how it works in a group of people, and we'll talk about maybe what God is calling you to. So grab your Bibles, if you've got them, and go to the book of Numbers, Numbers And if you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 101, and the Bible's in your chairs. Uh, If you uh, have your phone, you can look on the app. You can watch it there. If you're watching on the internet, uh, hit the app, and the notes and things will be there as well. And the book of Numbers. And let's talk about what God is doing here. So God is interacting with his people, the Israelites. And let me kind of build in where we're at right now, okay? So to this point, the Israelites... uh, kind of right before this story, had been in slavery. And they'd been enslaved for hundreds of years to the Egyptians. So it wasn't aliens who built the pyramids. It was Jews, right? So the Jewish people were enslaved to to Egypt. They're literally making bricks, building out the pyramids. All that's who made those things, okay? And they're enslaved here in Egypt. God, they cry out for deliver. God raises up this guy named Moses. Moses in the burning bush, if you're familiar with that story. Moses goes to the Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Pharaoh doesn't want to. All these plagues come on Egypt. Finally, Pharaoh relents. The people of Israel, about three million of them, walk out of Egypt they cross the sea. The Egyptians try to chase them. The sea crashes in, kills everybody, right? So now they're in the wilderness. <clears throat> they're out there in the wilderness. And God says, I want to take you to this place called the promised land. And on the way, they get hungry. So God causes bread, manna to fall from heaven. And then they were like, I'm a Crossfitter. I need protein. So God sends in a quail, right? And they get to eat. They're like, I'm thirsty. I need water. God causes water to appear. Where there's no GPS, we don't know where to go. God says, I'll, I'll be a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. So everything they need is handled for them. Not only that, they got money now because the Bible says that as they were leaving, the Egyptians gave them their gold. They're like, please, I'll pay you to leave, right? And so they, it's like sending a kid to college. I'll pay you to leave, right? And so, they're, so now they're, they're going and they've got gold. They got food. They got everything and they go through this wilderness and they're on their way to the promised land. Now where we find them here is this. They're at the edge of the promised land and God says there's this land flowing with milk and honey, everything you ever wanted. You go in there, I'm gonna do something spiritually significant through you. Through you, I'm gonna build a nation and from that nation, you're gonna be a beacon to the world of who I am so that people can find me as I interact in this this, uh, special way with the nation of Israel right? So I want to do something spiritually significant through you, but it's in the promised land. Here's the catch. There's giants in there. There's fortified. We got to go conquer the promised land, but don't worry. I'm God. I'm with you. I'll handle all that. All you have to do is follow me, okay? So the nation of Israel is, is on the edge of that promised land, What they have before them is awesome and supernatural and powerful and spiritually significant. But this is what you got to catch. But where they are right now, ready? Where they are right now is the best place they have ever been. They, for the first time ever, they're free. They got money. They have food. They have water. They have the presence of God. This, remember, there's, they've been slaves. This is the best life they've ever had. And God's saying, yeah, I got, I got a lot more for you. Just fo- Let's go to that promise. Land. Like, just follow me by faith. And they're stopping and saying, no, wait a minute. Can't you just bless what I already got? Because I like this. And I'm willing to just kind of exist and stay and hang out I don't really need to be significant. If you could just kind of like make my life better here, I'd be good with that. And in that, you see the dilemma. You see where we tend to live. Uh, we tend to look, and, instead of saying, God, use me in great ways, we say, God, just improve what I got. Just keep it steady. Just keep me employed. Let me get to retirement. Maybe there's a condo involved, right? But I really have very simple requests but you could affect the world. You could change, yeah, you know, but if you could just like keep me healthy, right? And we see this hesitation. I'm safe, I'm secure, but I'm not significant. And God wants to call me to this. Now, as the Israelites go through this, I, I wanna show you this passage, and I wanna just, I just made some observations as I was going through this. And I wanna see, I wanna show you what this choice involves. And how this will play out, okay? So here's the first observation I made. It's this. Striving for significance is not daydreaming. Rather, it's the embrace of a 360 reality. And I I need to explain that. So striving for significance isn't daydreaming, but it's the embrace of a 360 degree reality, right? So what God says is this. He says, "Pick pick some spies, 12 spies, one from every tribe. Go into the promised land, spy it out. They go in for 40 days. They come back to the spies. Joshua and Caleb are all about going into the promised land. The other 10 won't do it, right? They won't do it. And it's fascinating the reports they give back. Look at uh, chapter 13, look at verse 26. The following, they come back and they give this report to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community. They report to them and to the whole assembly and show them the fruit of the land They gave Moses this account, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, here's the fruit, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. Listen, when you think about living a life of significance, we're not not talking about daydreaming, we're talking about a 360 reality. So they come back and they said, yeah, the promised land is everything that God says it is, but there's big people there and there's cities there and it's going to be difficult to achieve it. From my place of safety to my place of significance, there's, there's some battles to be fought, right? And, and that's a 360 reality. I, I'm all about what God can do, but there's, when I look and see everything, I realize that, that I'm going to have to go through some pain to get to some promise, right? So when God says things like this to you, love your enemy as yourself, Uh, When the Bible teaches us things like you can have a thriving, healthy marriage. Uh, You can forgive as you've been forgiven. You can proclaim the gospel and should to the ends of the earth. When when you look, it's not just daydreaming like, I don't know, somehow, mystically, God is just going to use me. I just know it right it's not the tv stuff i just have a lot of faith and i'm pretty sure if i have a lot of faith like i don't know like god'll smite discover card down and all my debt will go away right that's that's mystical daydreamy stuff a 360 reality is this the land flows with milk and honey and there's giants and fortified cities i believe that god can use me to change the direction of my family but that's gonna. It's. I got to go face some pain to do that. I have to change to do that. I. I believe that, that that God can can alter the course of my 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 life and my family's life. He can heal our finances. But man, if I'm gonna get out of debt, like I got, I have to like live differently. Like I gotta honor God with my finances. I've never done that before. I believe that God can proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm totally in on that. But I, I might have to be the one that goes and does that. I might have to walk away from my, my safe life and go live a dangerous one. The promise is true, and the problems are true. And when you talk about living a life of significance, don't be a, a, a daydreamy TV preacher mindset guy. The promises of God work, and the problems you have to face are real. And the promise is not that God will make your problems go away. The promise is that He will be with you as you face them. See? And when we have daydreams about being, I don't know, man, I just think we're going to have these really amazing, godly children that's great, are you discipling them, praying with them, teaching them about the world? No, I just really, I, they watch VeggieTales, and I'm pretty sure, right? So my observation is this, when we wanna live a life of significance, God is true and the problems are real, right? And the promise isn't that the problems go away, the promise is, is that God will face them with us. Here's the second observation I made. <laughs> this is one of my favorite ones, ready? When we want to live a life of significance, cowards are a dime a dozen, and they will voice their opinions. Wh- whenever you break out of the ma- mainstream, you're going you're to find that cowards are a dime a dozen. There's always somebody who's afraid, and they're very vocal about it, and th- they will voice their opinions. This is what happened to Joshua, Moses, and Caleb. Look at verse uh, 1 or 2, chapter 14. So, so, so they, they look in there, and, and Caleb says this, actually in the anniversary, Caleb silenced the people. Remember, the, 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 the people are big, the cities are big. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go and take possession of the land because we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are all, verse 2, chapter 14, all of Israel grumbled against Moses there in the whole assembly. If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Only let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It's mind-boggling to me that they would think that. They, they look, Caleb's like, let's go do it right? God will let us do it. And the, and the rest of the, the whole assembly, so you got like Moses, Aaron, Caleb, Joshua, and the other two million like they're out, right? And they say, Let's, you, it, it, you can't. It's really scary. Let's go back to Egypt where life is manageable. You can schedule it. You can, like every day we're waking up, we're making bricks. We, we know how the Egyptians are going to treat us. Let's just go back to that. Let's not go by faith into this. Listen, whenever you break out of a mainstream, the cowards will surround you and they will voice their opinion and they will tell you the worst case scenarios, right? You can't, you can't raise your kids that way. What? Yeah, no, your kids, they got to play sports and they got to be in jazz class because you can make a living off of that? And 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 your kids have to do this. And you, you can't you can't raise your kids that way or they'll like do drugs. Well, but our our family has a different set of values. You can't have a different set of values. Your kids will do drugs. Well we believe that that, you know, God's plan is the church, and so it's very important to us that our kids are tied to the church. And we actually believe that their, their knowledge of God's Word and understanding of God's call in their life is more important than their grades. Oh, your kids are going to do drugs. No, no, calculus is the most important thing. It's actually not. You know, the, knowing God's… No, you're drugs. <laughs> See? You can't spend your money that way. You better have a retirement… Well, we believe that the Lord's our provider, and so we, you know, we have some money set aside, but we really believe that building the kingdom of God is not just an act of obedience, it's an act of worship. We want to lay up for, our, for ourselves treasures in heaven. Oh, you're going to be homeless. You're so going to be homeless. Right? There's always a coward, and, and they're always going to look at your, you or your family and say, you can't, you can't go to Brazil. There's Zika. It's everywhere. Everybody in Brazil has Zika. It's contagious. It's Zika. Zika, 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 Zika. I mean, it's, it was amazing, right? You just hear Zika. And they're flipping back. They don't know about malaria and yellow fever and everything else that you're going to get in Brazil. But it's like, oh, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. They're, they're going to come. Whenever you look and say, no, there's something more important, there's a different set of values, we're going to go this way instead of that way. Whenever you break from the mainstream, the mainstream's going to flip out. And they're going to voice that, and they're going to tell you the one worst case scenario. I remember a few years ago. I think I was going to Africa or something like that. I was getting juiced up because you got to get shots. And so you know, I was getting juiced up to, to go to Africa. And uh, the, the nurse came to me. and she's like, you should get the flu shot. I said, like, you know, I don't think I want the flu shot. She's like, oh, you should get the flu shot. And I was like, well, I don't know. She's like, everybody gets the flu shot. And I was like, well, I've never had the flu. So I don't really want the flu shot. Well, you're probably, you're going to get the flu unless you get the flu shot. But I've never had the flu. Well, you're around a lot of people. You'll probably get the flu if you don't get the flu shot but I've never actually had it. You should get the flu shot. I was like, well, can you get the flu if you have the flu shot? Oh yeah, you can. I was like, well, if you can get the flu with the flu shot, and I've never had the flu without the flu shot, aren't my odds like exactly the same if I get the flu shot or don't get the flu shot? Oh, you should get the flu shot. I don't want to get the flu shot. Well, I might call the police, 911. He won't get the flu shot. It's incredible, like, the response that you get because you just don't fall in step with people. Your kids don't go to that school. They go to the other school. Yeah, yeah, they do. Do you homeschool them? Yeah. Oh, they're going to get Zika. They're going (laughs) to... It's fascinating. There's a whole culture of people that, let's play it safe. We're really happy. There's giants, but there's, I know there's giants, but there's God. Yeah, but, you know. Guys, listen, you want to live a life of significance? The mainstream is the mainstream because it's what everybody does. It's groupthink. And in groupthink, nobody stands out. And when you look and say, you know what? Actually, I'm not just going to be a cultural Christian. I actually, wanna, I actually want to invest my life in the kingdom of God and do something radical for God. You're going to get a thousand and one people who are going to tell you why that's crazy, radical. You probably joined a cult. Don't do that. Go to church every other week and give 3% hit a, hit a, hit a life group once a month see keep your faith to yourself let it improve you or you can take a step into the promised land and actually start to live for the rare, for the reason God created you to live here's the next observation i made i just this jumped out to me i thought this i thought a god-given dream gives us god-given courage a God given dream gives us God-given curse. Look at verse 7, chapter 14, Numbers. This is Caleb and Joshua. Now they're responding to the, like this let's go back to Egypt thing. Here it is. The land we passed through and explored is, is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will, will give it to us only. Do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. God has has worked in Caleb and Joshua's heart, and now they, they got the promised land bug, man. All they can see is the dream. It, it, man, look what God could do. Look at what God will do. Look at what God said he he, he would do for us. We got to go. I can't live in safety zone anymore. I've got to go there. Let's go. Come on. We'll devour them. The Lord will protect us. They're dead meat because God is for us. And a God-given dream will inspire God-given courage. Now, this is what I would say to this, right? That courage will kick in when you take the first step into the promised land. When you're outside the promised land, you're going to get analysis paralysis. When you step inside the promised land, you'll be shocked how thick your spine becomes. Guys, sometimes in our faith, I, I, you've got to be careful with this, right? But Sometimes in our faith, you need to quit thinking about it and just do it. it when, when, when God calls you, just do it. Start, start moving toward it. What's the plan? I don't know. You know we'll kind of figure it out as we go what's the budget? I don't know. God's going to provide for us as we go. Well, that's not very business-like. I know. It's the Bible. It's not a business. It's a completely different thing. Right? We, we, all truth is God's truth, so we can learn stuff, but it doesn't work the same. But everybody says, I know, and what are the outcomes of their lives? God-given plans will inspire God-given courage, but you don't need courage until you go into the promised land. You don't need courage to stand on the edge of the promised land and look at it. But when you start moving toward it, I don't know, man, my dad is such a, I don't know if I want to restore a relationship with my dad, right? I got you. Start trying to restore one, and you might find that you're very motivated to do it. I don't know if I want to rebuild my marriage. I like to sit and think about what it's like to be without her. Well, why don't you start working at falling back in love with her? You might be shocked that you do. I don't, I don't know if I want to surrender my finances to God. I don't, know, I don't know. Maybe you should start tithing, and God will bless you. It's the only promise in the Bible where he promises financial reward for it. Micah, in the book of Micah. It, 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 right? So until, you don't need courage until you're on the battlefield. And once you step into those places, you might be shocked how bold you are because that boldness isn't coming from you, it's coming from Christ in you in the promised land. The things that God has called you to are the things that are on His heart and you might be shocked that He equips you and empowers you and strengthens you as you go. And do what he's called you to do. Here's the next thing I found. Our lack of faith grieves and displeases God. To so hear the people, Caleb, Joshua, Moses, Aaron, they're like in. They're like, let's go. Everybody else is like, ah, we're not doing it. And when they refused to trust God and have faith in God, it grieved God. And it didn't just make him sad. It, it kind of made him mad. It, it dis. Pleased him and grieved him. Look at uh, well, halfway through verse eleven, chapter fourteen. How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that, that I have performed among them? Uh, over to verse twenty-two. Uh, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it, see the promised land, because my Caleb servant has a different. Uh, my Ca- my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I'll bring him into the land he he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Uh, verse thirty, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that, that you said will be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land and, and, and that you have rejected. For forty, verse thirty four, for forty years, one year for each of the forty days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know that what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, has spoken and I will surely do these things to, to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness, and here they will die. God, God looks at his people, and he says, all right, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm sad. Look at all that I have done for you, and, and you are not trusting any of that. You, you look at the safety and the blessing that I've given you, and you take that as something that you have accomplished for yourself. And you don't see that it's a blessing from me that I created this for you. If God was talking to us today, he might look and say, look at all, this. You, you asked for blessed meals, I have blessed your meals. Nobody is wondering We're wondering what we're going to eat today. We're not wondering if we're going to eat today. I have blessed it. You've asked me to bless your life. I have blessed your life. You are the wealthiest people group in the history of planet Earth. I have blessed your life. And you look at that, and and you're, you're worshiping that instead of worshiping the one who provided it for you. I've done all these things among you and for you because I love you and you would rather own the things than my relationship with you and God grieves and then he, he just kind of gets mad he's like you know what I'm out I'm done finished you're gonna you're gonna wander you're gonna be aimlessly if one year for for every week every day you you're in the land And the children that you were so paranoid about, I'm giving it to them. You're gonna die in this wilderness. Do You you wanna live in safety? All right, here it is. You can live in safety and you can die in safety and you're never gonna see the promise. I offered you an opportunity to be the generation of significance. I, I, I offered you the opportunity to be used by me. I offered you so much more than what you're living in right now, and and you won't take it. So you know what? Here's my judgment on you. I'm going to give you your current standard of living, and that's going to be what your life amounts to. You want to exist? Exist. I'm out. Caleb, Joshua, it's yours and you will lead these children into this promised land, and I will build my nation off of them. Now, here's my last observation. It's this. When we choose safety over significance, we're going to regret it. When we choose safety over significance, we're going to regret it. Look at verse 39. When Moses reported this to the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. They mourned bitterly. Verse 40, halfway through. Now we're ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Don't go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by the enemies. Because you have turned away from the Lord... He will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. So God says, that's it, I'm out, you're wandering. The people are like, oh man, really sorry, we don't, we'll do it now. And so they tried to go into the promised land by their own strength, they got annihilated. Because God looks, I'm out. You're out, I'm out. And guys, here's the thing. You you choose safety over significance, you're going to regret that because it's not what you were created for. The people of God are not created to, to be middle class, North American, clean cut, moralistic people. That's not what Jesus died for. The people of God are, are, are called to, to proclaim the name of God, to live the vision of God, to, pro, to pursue the mission of God. And when we don't do that, we, re, we regret it, right? I, I see this play out all the time. Fathers, if you're a dad, listen to me. I, I see it, I've seen this a thousand times. I, I look at a dad and I'll say, are you, are you discipling your children? What do you mean? Are you praying with them? No. Are you, are you going through the scriptures with them? No. Are you speaking the difficult things in their life? No. Are you, are you spending the time with them? No. Do you walk with them? Do you, do you go along the way? And all the Deuteronomy 6 stuff. Are you doing that stuff? No, no, no. Because, man, I got it, the heat of my career. I'm just trying to build my career. And then we were trying to get this house built. And then I got, I got to do these things over here with my college buddies. And then there's softball. I gotta play softball and I gotta tie my life up doing this. So you're gonna your children are moving past. Yeah, I gotta do that. But the promised land is your family. I know, but I got all these things. I just want God to like bless my stuff, get my promotion, get me my new car. Okay, great. This is what happens. Now all of a sudden, my kids go to college, they can throw a football, they can dance with jazz hands, and they run into some professor that knows how to mess with their minds, they have no biblical foundation to counter those thoughts. And then I I get the phone call, my kid walked away from God, I know. I I want them to know God now. (sighs) What do you want me to do? All those years, you just wanted your life to work a certain way, you didn't want it to count for anything. Are, are you are you are you leading your wife spiritually well no she's stubborn are, are, are you praying with her well you know I don't know are you I, I'm busy doing this I'm busy doing that I, I'd, I'd rather work on flirting at the office I'd rather do this than, and then suddenly 20 years later you got to save my marriage what do you want me to do God gave you exactly what you asked for. See, and the promised land—the promised land was there. You, you could have taught your children. You could have shown our family is all dysfunctional, it's broken apart. Why? Well, because I come from a dysfunctional, broken family. Right. You could have broken the chains of the dysfunction because God said, if you'll turn and work on it, I'll empower you. There's a promise that you can do it differently. If you forgive as you've been forgiven, love as you love, love your enemies and all that kind of stuff. But you, you decided that you would rather God just bless you in your bitterness and now your children interact with you the way that you interacted with your mom and dad. You never showed them something different. There's power over addiction. You could, it, there's power. It's right there. God promised it. We can go for it. The, the, the Scripture, the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, everything you need is right there. I'd rather just manage my addiction. There's a deeper life than a materialistic life. And this is what happens, guys. When, when, when God, God brings you the promise, and he says, you know what? If you go into this, just whatever your promise land, you go into this, I will be with you. You can live a life of faith. You can live a life of significance. You can live a life that makes a difference. You are the church of Jesus Christ. You're the body of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, my Holy Spirit is within you. Everything you need to live the eternal life of significance that you want is right there. I'm not doing that, God. If you could just, like, bless my food and give me a safe trip home, I'd be... And guys, what happens is we're going to walk away, we're going to regret it. We're going to regret that. And then what happens in our regret, the light comes on one day and we'll say, "Now we'll do it." And God's uh, It's too late. You do it now. You rejected, 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 now there's no power behind it. So life, it's a gift from God. It's not a burden from God, it's a gift from God. And it requires faith. And significance requires courage. And God says, but don't worry, I'm with you. We will go defeat these giants together. I'm not asking you to be a better version of yourself. I'm saying you're a new creation. I'll go with you, but we got to go. And if you want to choose this life, I guess I'll give you what you want. But man, that's it? That's what you want? And part of the reason why this passage means so much to me is because this passage is, is a big deal here at, the, at Grace Church. It, it, and I want to tell you this story a little bit. If you're our, ge- our guest this weekend, you know, just, uh, it'll describe the church a little bit. But for some of us, we'll remember this. Um... This passage is a big deal because of, a, of an event that happened that's a real historical marker for us at Grace, right? So years ago, uh, f- you know, 14 years ago probably, uh, we started Grace Church 16 and a half years ago, and Grace popped right away, popped. And we said the dumbest stuff when we started the church. We, we said, like week one, like week one, where it was like 100 people, and we forgot to take the offering. True story, right? So week one, we're like, if we can't take the offering, how are we ever gonna see God work, right? So we, we forgot to take the offering. Week one, we stood up, and we said, you know what? We believe God is calling us to something different. So we don't want to just establish a, a local church. We, we believe that God's calling us to be a movement that's going to affect the kingdom of God. Really dumb thing to say to 100 people that didn't know each other and we forgot to take the offering. But we just kind of believe that. So God caused grace to pop real quick. Back then we only had what we would think of as the cafe out there, right? And so we were meeting in the cafe. We were two three years old probably three four hundred people we knew that we needed to build actually this room that we're sitting in right now we hired a consultant came in told us we could raise a million bucks The problem was we needed two million dollars to get the loan to build the building and so i went out we had had lunch with my uh, associate pastor and told him what we're going to do is we're going to ignore the consultant and just do it anyways right we're going to have to get twice as much as he says that we can we gathered the congregation at the time together out in the cafe, and we had a service one Sunday night. And at that service, I taught this passage, and, and I told him. I told him the whole deal. I was like, the guy says we, need, we can only get a million, we need two million. I don't know what to do except ignore the guy. Are you with me? And we prayed together, and we talked together, and I, I said this statement to them. I said, listen, tonight, right now, right here, we're on the edge of the promised land, And we have to decide right now, are we going to be a part of something special or are we going to be a part of something supernatural? Because for us as a church, life had never been better than it was right then. We had money. We loved each other. We were having a blast. We put a roof on the building. It wasn't leaking anymore. It was like life was as good as it was going to get. And we just said, if we take this step of faith, we have no way to measure it, no way to… do we want to be a part of something special or do we want to be a part of something supernatural? And we agreed together that we wanted to be a part of something supernatural. And about six months later, we had a, a financial drive because the first giant we had to slay was a financial giant. And so we had this big uh, vision uh, campaign, lots of conversations about needing this building, had the, what we call the great day of giving. The people handed in their commitments, and it wasn't $1 million, it was $2 million. It was an absolute miracle. And people sacrificed, they they didn't move. They stayed in their small house. They didn't buy the new car. People picked up second jobs. It was like whatever. We emptied our bank accounts, literally. Like whatever it took to see God continue to do what he was doing here at Grace is, is what we wanted to do, right? But we, we, what we believe that God was calling us to something and we believed that God wanted us to affect the, the world somehow from Akron, Ohio. Dumb stuff. Dumb thing to say for a group of people who couldn't even afford to put a roof over our head. But we just believed it, and we decided that's what we're going to give our lives to. And it was fascinating. This last couple of weeks, we are down in Brazil. And, and what we were doing in Brazil was we were training pastors and missionaries. And I'll show you some of these pictures here. And these are, this is just a a missions conference. So these are pastors, missionaries, leaders from the churches that were coming in. And we were training them in the philosophy of the church and things like that. And training them in kind of our discipleship processes. This is out in the Amazon rainforest. We're working with a a group of pastors and missionaries, things like that. And we're just talking to them about grace and, and what it's about and all those kind of things. But we ran into something I wasn't expecting to run into. As we started to go to these churches, we found this. You recognize that? So if you're a part of Grace, we call that Know It, Live It, Give It Away. It's the philosophies of Grace Church. I didn't know this was there. And we went to all these little churches, and we found Know It, Live It, Give It Away. And I was like, hey, that's copyrighted. I have to sue you now. But what we found was they have been watching us. And through the internet and then through one of our missionaries, all these little churches are implementing Know It, Live It, Give It Away. And we went to this pastor's conference, about 70 pastors, and they said, we need you to train us in Know It, Live It, Give It Away. What's it mean? How does it work? How do you implement it? How does it play out? How do you disciple people? How do you do evangelism? How do you... One day, uh, we started teaching at 7.30 a.m. We let out at a quarter to 11 p.m. And the whole time, these pastors, they're just engage, picking our brain. My brain was so, like, brain, I was like, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> Read your Bible. It's in there somewhere, right? It's it just, <laughs> it was absolutely amazing how the vision and the mission of grace has spread to Brazil and, and by the way it's, it's spreading like wildfire now and we found out while there it's on its way to Africa and that we have I don't know five, six, seven hundred churches in Africa and guess what know it, live it, give it away is headed to Africa and so that was the next ask, ask can you come to Africa? I'm like can I just go home for a minute and mow the grass right and they're getting our, our books in English, and people who speak Portuguese or Spanish, this is in Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay is where this is happening, and they're, they're taking things in English and just trying to figure out what we're doing. I called Heidi, and I said, you're not going to believe what I found down here, and, and she, said, she said, are you excited about that? I said, I am excited, and I'm, I said, it's sobering to me. Like I, I, I probably feel more weight from it than excitement about it. Because suddenly, God seeded into the heart of, of us as a church years ago. Like we're, We want to be a movement that affects the world. Hundreds of pastors, what will wind up being tens of thousands of people, are grabbing hold of what you're doing, what we're investing in, and you start looking back. And all of that service and all of that time and all that money and everything that we have given and given and given and given and given. Now you know what I trace that back to? And by the way, it's just it's, it, five years from now, it's gonna be nuts what, but you know what I trace it back to? I trace it back to that meeting. And I have a, a special affection for the people in that meeting. Because we didn't even know how to take the offering. <laughs> we just knew that there was something else. And I'm not even sure we're in the promised land yet. I think... I think it's just the problem sounds like heating up. You know, we got a long ways to go with this thing. But you, you look back into what was a red, dumb, ridiculous thing to do. But God's people acted like God's people. We're people of faith. We're not people of plans and budgets, we're people of faith. We do radical things because we serve a radical God, and, and yet we, could, we could just as easily be bankrupt as be what we are now. In fact, we could go bankrupt <laughs> any time the way that we do things. But God's people said we're going to rely on our Lord instead of on our plans, Now listen, that's us, it's gotta be you. Because that, that, that restored relationship between the place you're at and the place of promise is pain, I guarantee it. But when you look and say, man, if, if I could build a relationship with my mom again If, Lord, what if I had a marriage that glorified you? If, man, if I approached life differently, if I live for Christ and not for myself. When we we dream about what God could do, right? And it's a 360 because the promised land is real and the giants are real. But if my life could make a difference for eternity, would I I take the step, right, cross the river and and go? Everybody's going to tell you to choose safety. Everybody's going to tell you the worst case. We tried to start churches and they all failed. I know. We tried to raise up leaders and they are all got Zika. I know, I don't know, I know. I know what happens, what are you gonna do, right? I tried to talk to my wife and she punched me in the face. I know, you probably had it coming, right? There's always a coward and they're always gonna voice their opinion. But if God is greater, and we serve Him, it just seems like we should be living differently, doesn't it? Right? There's a different adventure, and we can choose that one, too. And who knows, right? Who knows how God will work through it? All right. I'm gonna pray, and the band's gonna come, and and I just encourage it. Be still. Don't don't rush out. Spend some time with God. You know, are you are you playing it safe? Where where are you playing it safe? What's God been calling you to, and you've been afraid to do it? Right. Big one. Are you modeling? What are you modeling for your kids? What does your What do your kids? When your kids look at your life, what do they think a Christ follower is? Right. What What are you modeling? And is God calling you? Maybe He's calling you to obedience. Maybe He's calling you to a redemptive relationship. Maybe He's calling you to a different place on the planet. I don't know. But what, has God put a dream in you? Not a self serving dream. I'm not talking about the TV stupidity. A, a, a spiritual dream, an eternal dream. Has He put something in you? What's your life going to add up to? Right? I don't want to die and my kids say, well, dad finally drove the truck he had always talked about. It's dumb. Right? Has God put something in you? And, and, and do you need, to tar- you need to take the steps to pursue it, okay? All right. Let's so bow our heads and close our eyes, and I'll pray, and the band will give us some time to think. Jesus, we love you change us God give us the courage to be significant God thank you thank you for the the stuff like we saw in Brazil and the stuff like we can see in our light where we see that you do this God thank you for showing us that this works and and God let that let your faithfulness embolden us even more to do it more and more god on personal levels let us trust your word enough to do it to to let that be the operating system of our lives And, and and lead us and empower us in every way so holy spirit in these quiet moments would you press into our lives into our hearts into our minds show us your leading your correction your training and uh god just Personally, interact with us in these few minutes. Help us that. Help us to that even now, Jesus, in your name.